Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Liana Pavane, founder of TTYL, human connection advocate, certified life coach, and most importantly, a human that's just trying to figure it out. I'm your unapologetic 20-something native New Yorker, advocating selfships. Yes, I'm in a relationship with myself while navigating the dating world. I'm on a mission to break down dating stigmas in our society and to stop ghosting. I started this podcast after my ex broke up with me over the phone. I know, at least it wasn't a post-it. And I realized that our dating etiquette was severely lacking due to technology. Each week, I invite guests onto the podcast from all walks of life to discuss their first date horror stories and best dates. Because let's be honest, we don't focus on the positives enough when it comes to dating. The best part about this podcast is that after each episode, I've walked away feeling more confident about myself and my relationships. So whether or not you're single, in a relationship, or find yourself in a situationship, I welcome you to get comfy as I dive into the uncomfy so we can normalize it together. Do you want to feel magical every day? Now you can. When you adorn yourself with glitter from Unicorn Snot, you too can shine bright like a diamond. Add sparkle to your next night out, your first date, or just for yourself while you work from home because self-ships use code Liana15UnicornsNot for 15% off their face and body products or their new BioGlitter sunscreen with 30 SPF so that you can literally shimmer in the sunshine. That's code Liana15UnicornsNot at unicornsnot.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ghost of Dates Past. I am super excited about today's episode. I am here with Tanai Milgram, and I'm just pumped to have this conversation. It's been a long time coming between our schedules back and forth. So I am just super excited. Her work on Instagram is just so inspiring. She's so confident and talked about so many amazing concepts that I can't wait to dive into. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So good to be here. And and yeah, it's it's crazy how it's been months of us, like even, even setting dates for this and then canceling multiple times. And yeah, finally, 2022, this is the year. <laughs> I know, this is the year. I know, I was even thinking like, this might be the first episode of season two. I feel like you're just the perfect person because I, I want to do it for International Women's Day. So let's hear more about what you do. Great. Yeah, so... So I'm a women's empowerment and intimacy coach, and I help women fully express themselves in their relationships and have the confidence to ask for what they want and set boundaries and express their feelings. You know, when we when we say be yourself, it's really so much more complicated than that because even for us to feel comfortable being ourselves, we have to look inward and see what's in the way and what did we learn was okay and wasn't okay about being ourselves. So, you know, in my personal experience, that was the case. I didn't really feel comfortable expressing many human things in in relationship, expressing my anger, my upset, my disappointments, my anything that would misalign with being like the perfect put together, go with the flow girl. So that was in the way of me being, you know, really myself in relationships. And so I help women feel that comfort and courage to to really let out their unapologetic selves 
so that they can attract the relationships and the lives that they that they really want. Mm, so beautiful. And it's so true. It's so much more than just wake up every day and be yourself. You do have to put in work in your relationships because your partner can't read your mind. And even if, you know, you think that you're fully expressing yourself, they might feel off something energy you're giving. So just really tapping into awareness to self is super important. And then being able to communicate that and not seeing it as a burden to your partner or that, oh, they just should know how I'm feeling or how I want to feel or how I want to be comforted if I'm upset or something like that. I think having those conversations, having your partner, you ask, you know, when you're maybe the first time you encounter them being upset or you see them angry for the first time asking, you know, if it obviously it doesn't have to do with you, like, how do you want to be comforted? when you feel this way. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, for most of the women that I work with, they have deep people-pleasing tendencies and some of them don't even know it, right? Because there's the women that identify themselves as the good girls and the ones that, you know, have have been trying to break out of that, the pressure to be well-behaved. And then there's women that don't identify as that, but they have no idea that they're still doing things to please. So when, you know, you just said like, tell your partner what you want and tell your partner how you're feeling. That's exactly it, that we develop all these ways to not show how we're feeling because we don't think feelings are okay. We don't think it's okay to just tell someone, when you did that, it made me really angry because we're taught not to criticize. But that's not criticizing, that's just sharing how you feel. So it's, it's just creating this new reality where it's okay to just share your feelings when you feel it's appropriate, right? Obviously, there's moments where it may not be totally okay, but that's the kind of relationships that I'm interested in and that I help women create. So beautiful, so beautiful. And so maybe before a good relationship, there's going to be bad dates. So let's dive into that first date horror story. Oh my goodness. So it's funny because this was sort of a first date with this guy that I'm about to talk about, but... We'd already been talking online for like two and a half, three months. So I went to visit a friend when I was in college at her school and I met a guy there and we connected and that led to virtual connection, right? For like a couple months. And then he came to visit me at my school, but it went horribly wrong. Yeah. Already when he came to visit me, I already stopped having feelings for him. I just didn't know how to be like, can you cancel this $700 flight and not come visit me? I just thought, you know what? He can just visit me and then afterwards I'll be like, it didn't work, right? So yeah, he he got there. And then of course I was like, okay, let's let's go drink, right? So I can pretend like I'm having a good time here. And then that night he tried kissing me and I pushed him away. And then the next day... <laughs> We're hanging out in my room, eating Oreos, smoking weed, and he tried kissing me again, and I was like, I don't like you anymore, and it was like, ooh, and he he just stared at me. I was feeling so relieved, right, because at this point, I'd been a whole night and a whole day pretending, so I was like, oh, finally, I said it, and he started to cry. <laughs> He's, he called his parents, tried to see if they would, like, give him money to buy another flight back, and... The flight wasn't, like, I don't know, it was way too expensive or something, so he he stayed the whole other day that he had there. So I thought, okay, the best place to hang out will be the library where we don't have to talk. 
So we spent a full day at the library just sitting next to each other, like working on our own things. And then I drove him to the airport and he was like, you know, this always happens to me. I always fall for women like so hard and they don't like me as much back. So he, I think he learned, he took that as like, I need to be careful who I fall for. And to me, it was like, I need to be honest with people. Like I should have told him way before he flew in that I just wasn't feeling it anymore. So yeah, that has to be the worst. I I mean, that that night that I told him I didn't like him, he I, I was like, you can sleep in my room. And I slept on the couch and I just heard him cry from the couch. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am like having secondhand discomfort from this. I know, story. I know. I can feel it. <laughs> I'm cringing. I just, this, it's happened to me once where I actually started to see the guy cry, but he left before it really happened. And oh, it's always just so, especially in a beginning stage of a relationship, and you hardly knew this person. So it's just, I mean, obviously he was stuck there. It's not like he had anywhere to go to do it privately, but. Yeah, this was Gainesville, Florida. Like, that's why even the ticket was so expensive. It's a small airport, you know? Right, right. So was he planning to stay in your dorm or suite or whatever you had? Yeah, it was, you know, in, uh, at at that time, apartments in Gainesville were so cheap. Now they're like double the price. I never had a dorm. I started late in college. I studied abroad my first semester. So yeah, I had a, I had an apartment and he he came to stay with me in my room. Oh my god. That's just oof. That's yeah. Well, you know, you live and you learn and I think in a way, in a beautiful kind of messy way, I think both of you learned a really valuable lesson like you said. I mean, for me, I'm the same way. Like I always try to find I was actually talking to my mom about this the other day because we were walking. They took me out to dinner and we were walking there and talking about just uncomfortable situations we'd been in. And she was mentioning in high school, there was actually an instance where this teacher called me out in front of the entire class and called me stupid. And my mom to this day was so angry. And she's like, that was my one regret that I did not stick up for you and that I did not say something to the dean, that I didn't switch classes for you. You know, I was in ninth grade, so I just started high school. And I said, you know what, mom, though? Because an instance literally five, six years later happened in college where a professor thought that I was dyslexic or something because I just missed I I switched like inches and the I did theater so like we were doing some outline I'm like not an architect I don't write inches and centimeters and the little apostrophe things all the time I don't know what to do and she literally thought because I mixed them up that I was dyslexic which is such a really not okay assumption to make first of all and just people make mistakes I you know that's why I want people to proofread my stuff obviously I was so appalled by her comment I went to the head of the department and I said to my mom that if you did that to me in ninth grade, I never would have learned that lesson. Yeah, that oh, I love that. And I and that takes a lot for you to have, you know, told the dean. For me, the day he left was when I started looking into what is commitment phobia. Like that was literally the day that I that I looked up all these symptoms that I had leading up to leading up to him and all the other guys that I dated prior. Like, why is it that I really like someone and then the moment they like me back, you know, I, I can't stand them. 
because I was like, I was like totally repulsed by this guy, right? So that's that summer was when I was like, you know what? I'll just go home. I'll get a therapist. I'll I'll, I'll take care of this real quick. And now it's it's part of my purpose, you know. Now I I have a podcast called Convinfo. Now I help people who struggle with fear of intimacy. So. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. If it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have been doing what I do today. Wow, that's incredible. And so amazing you mentioned that, or kind of ironic. I feel that I, sometimes that happens to me too. So I'd love for you to kind of delve into that a little bit and talk about what commitment phobia is and how you can notice it. Yeah, so so my thing is that I, I don't think commitment, commitment phobia is actually real. Like, I think it's it's a label that we've given to a bunch of symptoms that we all have as humans. We all fear intimacy because intimacy is scary, you know? And to, like, it is very vulnerable to be in intimacy. And when you're vulnerable, it means you're open to get hurt, open to get rejected, open to get abandoned. So... On some level, we're not all fully comfortable with intimacy and that makes some people push people away and that makes other people like pull them in. So I tended to be more on the side of, you know, of avoiding attachment, of avoiding closeness completely. And so it, it like it, it got to the point of, of calling it commitment foe because it was very dramatic. Like I, you know, I, I had basically all the symptoms where I was like emotionally cheating on someone coming up with every reason to break up with them, super anxious. Yeah, like from one day to the next feeling like I really liked them and then the next day I didn't. So yeah, it, it, you know, it, it really is something that's reflective of, of your first years of life. Like when you were a baby, what was your relationship with your mother? Or even when you were, when your mom was pregnant, what happened then? And according to that, it's going to determine how you are in, in your relationships. Mm, yeah. So well said. I definitely have been there for sure. I think when guys come on really strong, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes, like certain people have said, you know, oh, you're amazing. I want to take you out. I, I see, you know, it's the, it's kind of like a love bombing thing though. And I think for me, and sometimes people are just really confident. Sometimes people just know and they don't mind sharing that. But for me, I've been love bombed. So from that experience, that triggers that memory. And so I lead with caution and feel anxious and get very uninterested in that person because of that. So I think it's it's difficult, I think, depending on what experiences you've gone through in your life, kind of what you said, it could be reflective of your upbringing, et cetera, how you handle a situation like that. Yeah, exactly. And like, even if something pops up at a later age, it's still just the first time that you're experiencing it, but it still comes from childhood. You know, one of my teachers, Gabor Mate, he's one of the biggest trauma experts in the world. And he explains how even though soldiers go to war and they have PTSD, only the ones who had severe childhood trauma are the ones that develop the PTSD. Two soldiers could go to war. One develops PTSD, one doesn't. The one that does is because it's really unresolved childhood trauma. So, you know, in a situation where you get love bombed, you know, the the idea is that we can really take care of ourselves and we don't need anything on the outside to change, right? To feel safe. So the question is, what happens to me when someone love bombs me? What's what, what expectation do I have? So if at some point in your childhood you learned, I have to 
take care of of my mom. So that so that means I have to like shove down my feelings or I can't set boundaries. Then that's what you're going to do when someone love bombs you. That that's what I think is so powerful about self-expression that you know, if someone's just giving you way too much at first and you're not comfortable to be like, "Oh, I'm this is making me really uncomfortable" or like, "This is making me really angry." You know, it, it it's like oh, why would I say that? This person's being so loving. I, I'd rather just be quiet and hold it all in. So the holding it all in is the traumatic response. That That's the overwhelm. The overwhelm is, oh my gosh, now I have to like like self-regulate so that so that I can, you know, be okay here and this isn't really what I want to do because I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, expressing what is okay and what's not okay. I think going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, just being open and honest. And if, you know, I think even if your partner says something or maybe they say, I love you first and that kind of uncomfort of not feeling it yet, but not wanting to upset them and expressing what you're going through and really talking them through your thought process, no matter how difficult or weird it is, because if you are truly committing to this person in whatever long-term effect that means to you it could last six months it could last a year it could be your your life partner who knows you don't know at that moment but if you don't start working on having those difficult conversations and expressing yourself from the from the onset then you're not going to be able to do that at any point in your relationship Mm. yeah I mean we've we've just we've been raised with so many narratives of like what's sexy what's cute what's attractive what's repulsive so with all these narratives, we've developed all these way to, ways of being, right? When it's like there's just human. So if, you're, if your experience when someone says I love you is it brings you anxiety, then that's okay, right? But we're thinking of the moment like what's cute, what's loving. If you think about what's best for the relationship though, which is intimacy and closeness and authenticity, then you could be like, okay, for the for the purpose or for for the intention of authenticity and love in our relationship, I'm going to express what's really there for me. Yeah, I love that. And so going more into what you were talking about a little bit with just your your upbringing and more of what you are kind of learn when you're brought into the world, you have this concept called undaughtering. So I'd love to dive into what that means and what you do. Yeah, so... Undaughtering is a concept that, yeah, that I came up with that's basically shedding the good girl conditioning and stepping into your sovereign self as a woman. And of course, there's unsunning also, but that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) And it's really taking a look at your life and seeing what are you doing to be the definition of a good daughter that your parents have. So even something like, I want to be rich, Okay, so how are you trying to make money and what does rich mean to you? Is it according to what your parents said? Like, is there certain ways that your parents would approved of and certain ways that they wouldn't? So it's taking a look, like taking an inventory in your life and kind of seeing who am I doing this for? What values am I living by? Are they mine or are they theirs? And then also understanding how you're responding to life and and really understanding like how is my inner child the one responding here? And how can I take care of her and let her know that she doesn't have to be that way anymore? So that way, we can feel safe within ourselves 
that little child can feel like, oh, the adult me has got her and we can start showing up as our adult selves in our lives. We don't have this like rite of passage in our society, right, of the moment we become women. So that's that's what this is. It's It's really creating a rite of passage for yourself where you can detach from the identity that you created as a good daughter because that's what helped you survive your first years of your life and then relate to your parents as these are the people that give me life and I'm going to work through whatever there is that's in the way of me just feeling gratitude for them. I don't owe them anything. All I, all I can do is give them love and gratitude and I also have no resentment for them, no hatred for them. Like if there is, then that's the process of undaughtering. Like taking a look at where are you still upset at your mom or upset at your dad because that's going to show up everywhere in your life. If you're upset at your mom and you don't feel safe with her, you're not going to feel safe with your partner because those relationships are completely, you know, mirroring to each other. Mm, That's so beautiful. And I resonate with what you're saying so much. I feel like I went through a big questioning process. Well, you mentioned you studied abroad and I also went abroad. And through that experience, I think, and I mean, a lot of college was a lot of questioning a lot of separation. I felt more separated from my parents than I think I ever had been in a very independent setting. I mean, I went to sleepaway camp for seven years and I was on my own-ish for seven weeks, you know, from age nine to 15. So, and that experience definitely set me up to feel comfortable being alone or taking care of myself. But then you're taking care of yourself with responsibility and not a, you know, you're not in camp, you're literally in school, you can do whatever you want, but you have to do it for yourself in order to succeed. And that's a completely different type of independence. And also, while being exposed to a myriad of different types of people from all over the country or the world that are coming together, and also trying to do their own thing, and then how they interact with you and you not having someone to come home to every night you don't have a separation from it anymore you are literally living there as it's happening and interacting with hundreds of people every day that you don't know in a shared space and i think being out of a bubble you know growing up in new york city in a very small bubble of this private school environment was thrown into a very broad environment where I was able to question, like you're saying, question my values, question my upbringing, just all of those things, I think being thrown at you at once and, you know, mental health, being exposed to a lot of that when I was in college, I never really, it wasn't really talked about so much, especially, I think it's still being talked about more, but even four or five years ago, it was way more hushed than it is now. And so being exposed to that, you know, friends telling me that, their mom is bipolar and like what that experience was like when they were growing up or they are on medication for depression and anxiety or they have social anxiety. And so that's why they don't want to go out to parties all the time and things like that. I mean, there's so much that you're going through during those those years and especially for me. And I think that was when I really started to, yeah, just question my upbringing and question my relationship to my parents and ended up, you know, through through years of, of doing that, ended up in that place of, I am so grateful for these people and I have no resentment and no, I mean, I love them. I, they're amazing. They're my best friends. I see them every week, 
but yeah, I, they definitely went through that that process. Yeah, so good. Yeah, it's we're not going to really feel like our authentic selves as long as we aren't aware of that because our authentic self it just does things for us. So if we're doing things for others, then we're not authentic. I'll give you an example. One of my biggest insecurities my whole life was the sense that I wasn't responsible. Like the word responsible was super triggering for me. I I, I always had like my head pretty much in the clouds. So I would break all my phones, lose all my wallets, break my cameras, you know. I crashed my car a couple times. And so this this word like you're not responsible was really haunting to me. And, and it was triggering because it would kind of remind me of that feeling of like, my parents are going to get upset from childhood, not even from when I broke my phones as a teenager, they were super understanding. But yeah, I didn't really want to disappoint them. And it took for me to reframe the word responsible to have it mean what's responsible for me, you know, like, I take care of the planet as much as I can. I'm a good person. Like I try to be kind to others the way that I want them to treat me. Like, I, I reframed responsibility so that I reclaimed that word and that completely shifted how I felt about myself. So that's an example of like looking at those places where you're, you're you know, you're still trying to please your parents and detaching from that. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. And do you find that you still follow your parents' advice or you kind of separated yourself from that and created your own ideals? Yeah, so since I've worked through that part of me that wants their approval or like doesn't want to be controlled by them, I can now take their advice as if it's other people saying advice. You know, like if you think about it, you listeners out there, when other people give you advice, it's probably not as triggering as when your parents give you advice because there's all these meanings that you give, right? Like when my parents give me advice, they're trying to control me or they're not really seeing me. So at this point, when my parents give me advice, I'm able to listen and think, does this resonate with me? Because most of the time, the, the advice that triggers us the most is the one that we sort of think is right. If a part of you thinks you shouldn't be eating cake and your mom's like, honey, you should stop eating cake, that's what's going to trigger you. But if you fully thought like, no, I'm fine eating cake, then then you're, you're going to be like, thanks, mom, but no. So yeah, at this point, I'm able to listen and, and ask myself, do I, you know, do I find this advice valuable? And if I want to take it, I do. And I say, wow, thank you so much. That was so helpful. And if I don't, then I say, mom, dad, like I I really get that you're coming from this place of trying to take care of me because you really care and you really want to see me succeed. And I'm not taking this advice. And just so you know, I don't, just to remind you, I don't have to do what you say. Um, I'm an adult and I choose not to do this. And if you're upset about that, that's okay. Yeah, I think that's such a big lesson too. And sometimes I I find myself, being triggered or recognizing that that's my response, my immediate response from my parents of just, oh yeah, what my parents say is definitely the way I should go. And it can be hard because I think it feels in a way when I don't take their advice that I'm disappointing them in some way, that I'm not really living up to their expectation of what they they want for me. And of course I see them as the highest level of who I want to please and who I want to be proud of me. And I think, you know, hearing those words from my parents, I mean, especially my dad, like he's gotten soft in his age, but definitely, you know, he's always like the, the lawyer, the, the worker, like work hard kind of person. And so 
hearing those words whenever I really succeed, like even recently, and he said he was proud of me. I mean, it's just those words from him. That's like, that's like the, I love you for my dad. That is the biggest praise I could ever receive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can relate there. Like a few years back, I had the same experience with my dad and, and it's not to say like, oh, it's wrong if you feel good when your parents, like, no, like, we're still human. There's still that part of us that does want their advice and their their praise. So, yeah, it's like in that moment, being able to, th- to think, this feels really good. I don't need this, but this feels really good. Definitely. Totally. So let's hear your best first date story. Ooh, okay. Best first date. Wow, there's so many options. Okay, this one was really cute. My... My, the last boyfriend I had, our first date, we first went to this art exhibition and then we went to dinner and then we had an ice cream. And then and then at the time I was a food photographer. So I had free tickets to these like exclusive Miami like hotel South Beach events. So I was like, do you want to go to one? And he said, yeah. So, so we go and this hotel specifically has a table and a chair inside the pool, like at a very shallow, shallow area, you know, to be very like Miami, like cool Miami random table in the pool. So we look at it, the party's packed. And of course, it's a first date. So we don't really want to be amongst people. He was like, do you want to sit at the table? So I was like, yeah, sit at the table, taking, you know, we have our drinks. And then he leans in for the first kiss. And we hear a giant flash from behind. Someone had caught on camera our first kiss. He, he, he's a super, he's so sweet. He's like a very like corny guy. Like he likes that kind of stuff. And he was like, oh my God, I got to get this picture. So he gets up, runs, gets this guy's name and number or something, and then comes back. And then the next day he tells me if I remember this guy's name. And I was like, no, I have no idea. He lost the paper. So he was like, damn it. I really wanted our photo. He was, he was super sad. I, as the more avoidant type, I'm like, I don't really care. <laughs> this is weird. But, of course, it's really cute. So so fast forward to a month and a half later or like two months later. He says that he has a surprise for me. And we go out to dinner. We come back. He gives me this box. And inside, it's a puzzle. And it's a puzzle that creates this photo. He ends up having a dream with the guy's name, looks up the guy on Instagram, finds the photographer, gets the photo, creates a puzzle, and says this is going to be the perfect puzzle to create when I ask her to be my girlfriend. So we created the puzzle, and then he turned to me, and he's like, would you like to be my girlfriend? I'm like cringing happily. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! That's such a good way of saying it. Like a happy cringe. Yeah. So you said yes, and you were in a relationship with this person, I assume, yeah, for a bit? Yeah, yeah, for a little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's, yeah, I mean, as a puzzler, someone who works for a puzzle company, I'm a big fan. That's, that's adorable, but um, I, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, like, it's so cute, it's almost uncomfortably cute, but, yeah. Yeah, I've been in, I've been in many of those. I, the... When I was in in high school, my then boyfriend asked me out by putting it inside of a fortune cookie. And what the part of me that cringed was the fact that he had to order like 30 of them because he couldn't just order one. And like was eating it with his friends and family for like a month. Like that part made me cringe. Like, ah. 
eating 30 fortune cookies that say, well, you go to prom with me. Oh my God. I definitely, yeah. I mean, there's, it's so funny because I feel like in rom-coms, like we look to, what's the movie, in, in The Breakfast Club, when he's holding up the boom box at the end, you know, or moments where. Yeah, I was even watching Just Like Heaven, where I don't know if you remember, but in the end, Reese Witherspoon like dies, but then he, uh, Mark Ruffalo kisses her and then she comes back to life because they're soulmates, you know, and like. I'm like, am I see like, yes, but also like, ugh. happy cringe. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I think it's just, yeah, it's one of those things like we see these on TV and we see the romantic gestures and we, we want the Prince Charming, we want the chivalry and then it happens to us and a lot of people like it and a lot of people say, oh wait, this feels really strange to have it received. And I think, I mean, you are a very independent person. I can pick that up for sure. I'm a very independent person. And so I think there's a certain personality that just doesn't handle stuff like that. I think for me, like the equivalent or something that I'd feel okay with would be, you know, surprising me with an adventure, like a really fun date idea or like texting me like oh I want to bring you to this place and then like planning the whole thing for me like that doesn't feel like too much but if someone gives me it's I think the gift giving thing is weird to me if it's like a physical thing it's just not my love language and I think maybe that's why (laughs) yeah I I do love gifts I'm just very sensitive to energy so if I feel someone's being needy I'm very sensitive to it you know and I'm in the practice of telling people hey, I'm really sensitive to this. So I need to feel like you got yourself. Like you're not relying on me for my validation or for me to, you know, for for me to tell you, you did a good job for you to be happy. You know, like you got to take care of yourself. And that's been really helpful for me and for them. Totally. So important. And that delves really nicely into the question of what is the difference between doing things we need versus what we actually want? Wow. Honestly, I used to think that question was so simple and it's and it's so complicated because I I do think in the end what we want is what we need. I think the question is just why, right? I think it's it's really important to get curious about everything. Like even when you said when 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 I don't get my dad's approval, it upsets me. Like the question is why, right? What's the worst thing that could happen? What what happens if your dad doesn't approve? So the same thing goes with when we say we need or we want something, it, it it's it's about asking yourself, why do I think I need this? You know, so so if it's something like I need space, why is it because you you're genuinely the kind of person that gets irritated when you're around too many people, or is it because there's uncomfortable feelings that are coming up and you don't want to deal with them, so you'd rather deal with them on your own? Those are completely different reasons to need space. The practice there, which is a lifelong practice, is going back to your body and your intuition and asking asking from that place, like, what do I really need here? And that takes time. Totally. I think, yeah, I mean, for me, I even, I really set into that last weekend. I was feeling very run down and just disconnected a little bit. And like I was doing too many things, kind of burning the candle at both ends and knew that I needed kind of a reset, a recharge. I'm definitely a person who likes to be around people as much as possible. So, because I'm totally an extrovert, but I needed the weekend to just kind of 
be by myself and like look inward. And a friend actually reached out to me on Saturday night and said, oh, are you going to go out tonight? And for a split second, you know, I'm sitting on my couch. I already have my night set out. And I thought, should I go? And then I checked back in and I was like, I'm literally like typing. I'm like, nope, I'm in for the night. The second that I like said it internally and wrote it out, it was like, that was the right response. Like when you know, just like every cell in your body is responding, yes, you made the right decision. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. And then there's parts of us that think we need others to do things and we never need others to do things. So that's another question of why. Like if someone is talking too much and you need them to shut up, like why? So that you can do what? right? So that you can feel more comfortable, so that you get more time to speak. So it's not that you need them to stop talking. It's that you need space to speak, right? Like, hey, I'm feeling really, really overwhelmed right now. I'm trying to listen to you. And I also have things to say. Would it be okay if I spoke for a little bit? Yeah, that's really beautiful. I like that a lot. I think, I mean, I've definitely been in situations. I think we've all been in situations where we get, we meet a chatterbox and it's definitely going to be a stranger and it's definitely going to be someone you just met at a bar or a party and they're going to be slightly drunk and they're going to keep talking. Everyone knows the type that I'm talking about and they might be a little older and they might be trying to give you advice and just spitball, oh, this is how you should do things and blah, 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 blah. And you just smile and wave and just... Right. And it's like, man, can this person just shut up? Yeah. Literally, oh my gosh. I mean, it happens to me actually at the speed dating event I went to and this guy ends up approaching me. It was kind of a bit of an older crowd and this guy ends up approaching me at the end and he just goes off on a rant because he said something offensive and I told him off about it and kind of saw that as like, okay, we're ending the conversation and he kept talking and I was like, after like a minute and a half, two minutes, I was like, put a hand on his shoulder and I was like, it was so great to meet you and just walked away. Yes. And he, <laughs> he was so flustered, but it's just like people, you need to realize that your time is valuable. If you don't want to, I think, you know, what you want versus what you don't want, right? If you don't want to be there, you don't have to be there. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, One of my coaches recently asked me, like for my coaching practice, are you willing to offend in the name of service? Let's say I'm inviting someone to a workshop and I'm like, I haven't seen them in three years. This is so weird. And it's like this, this workshop is going to be of service to them. You know, I, I might offend them. So it's the same. It's like, you might offend someone by leaving the conversation, but it's, it's of service. It's for you and for him. You're not actually listening anymore. And he's not actually present in the moment when he's talking so much. So yeah, it's like going back to what's the purpose here? Totally, totally. Yeah, I think uh, that would even apply, I think, to someone that you reconnect with, like maybe you run into an ex or they text you or you text them, like, what are you looking for in that? Are you looking for the comfort of just someone you've already been with and so it doesn't feel weird maybe you want the presence of another person in an intimate way what what is your intention and and vice versa if they reach out to you what 
do you want? It's not about, oh, I have to respond because we had a relationship or we had a fling or whatever it is. You don't have to do that. You can 100% let bygones be bygones and just let live and let live and just leave all of that in the past. You don't have to revisit and have all those feelings from the breakup or the end of that relationship come back up with this person when you see them again. Like, why would you, do you want to put yourself through that? I think asking yourself, do you want to go through this experience is also really important. Take care of yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I think kind of going off of in the moment when you're with that uncomfortable, you're with someone who's babbling and you're kind of, you know, I feel I always get really defensive in those moments. So kind of switching to that more, that concept of being defensive. And I think that might even come up when we, you know, those grand gestures that we were talking about from, from relationships, like we might get defensive. We might feel like, oh, I just want to be this independent person or I want to speak my mind. I don't have the chance to say it. So how can we notice that we're being defensive and then switch to compromise if the opportunity arises during a conversation, say, with a partner? Yeah, you know, something that I think is really beautiful is the idea that all of our mechanisms and being defensive is one of them are just our way of protecting ourselves from vulnerability. So we get defensive when we have an uncomfortable emotion come up and we don't want to feel it. So we're like, fuck you. <laughs> I feel vulnerable right now. Yeah, you know, I've, I've found that when I get defensive, it's because there's like a pressure that I'm feeling. I used to get really defensive when, when I found that people were being really positive and, and cheerful and I could feel like they didn't really mean it, like it was fake. And I'd get defensive because it, I, I felt like they were either trying to manipulate me or they were lying to me, you know? And I had to like be on their level, like also be like, yeah, uh-huh, da-da-da, you know? So again, it's coming back to what are you feeling right now? How can you stay true to yourself regardless of the other person? Just be you. It might offend that person. It doesn't matter. Like it may be... Maybe there is anger. Maybe there is sadness. Just be with that because defensiveness is like the, the protection of feeling that anger or feeling that sadness or feeling whatever. Let's say, let's say your partner asks you to, I don't know, let's say your partner isn't very happy with sex and they're like asking you to do things differently and then you get defensive, right? Because in that moment, what you're making it mean is I'm not good enough you're attacking me, this isn't fair, I also have complaints. That's really all covering up, wow, you asking me to do things different in sex is making me feel really sad because what's coming up for me is I'm not good enough. Yeah, going back to the voicing what's happening in the moment versus, versus thinking that saying that is going to come off a certain way. I think that's really the difference of it's, yeah, it might be uncomfortable to say, but not just expressing whatever's coming up for you and not feeling like anything that you're saying is wrong. I think that's where a lot of, and I think a lot of women get it wrong is not, is thinking that we're going to be wrong by saying the quote unquote wrong thing. Right. 
Yeah, and this is so ingrained in us. So it's actually a really like complex practice to say what you feel. And I think a, a good place to start is instead of attacking, start practicing saying, I, I want to attack you. Because then you're naming it as, oh, this is the mechanism that's coming up. This isn't me. I know this isn't authentic. It's just like automatic. So then you go, wow, I really want to judge you right now. I really want to shut you out right now. I really want to push back. And then you're letting someone in on your experience. Like, oh, this is what's coming up for me because it's so human. It's so human to want to attack. And from there, that's going to help you access your feelings. And But yeah, it, it you know, it's it's a step in being vulnerable and the the thought that has helped me in my journey is the belief that there are no enemies. Like if there's no enemies within, there's no enemies outside. Everyone wants me to succeed. So if I start seeing people that way, then I no longer feel the need to attack or defend myself. Really beautiful. I definitely yeah, resonate with so much of what you're saying. I mean, I used to get defensive with my mom a lot when I was growing up and she would edit my papers and stuff. Oh my God, she still gives me shit to this day about it because now I ask for help all the time and just want her to edit my things. I mean, I think that's just, I think when you're a kid, you feel like what you do is so special and like everything that you are creating is perfect the way it is. Like you can't imagine it being fixed or edited or that you did something wrong. I think the idea of doing something wrong is and accepting that and learning from it as a as growth is something that we just with age come to terms with and with age come to terms with it's okay to ask for help and it's okay that you don't know everything. I think it's really humbling to accept that, but it's not easy to come to, especially from our parents. Yeah, you know, we get to we start getting to ages you know, with our preteens and teens where we want that independence and and it, and it feels like attacking and defending has way more power than telling someone how it's making you feel, you know? So so that becomes the automatic. I got to protect myself here I, because when I cried uncontrollably when I was six, no one listened to me. So now, you know what? You're never going to see me cry. I'm going to attack you from now on. That was at least a decision I made. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely, yeah, I would kind of like storm off. I was like, no, you're you're editing it, but it's not right. Blah, blah. And then I'd storm off and like cry in my room silently. And then my mom would come in. I'm like, don't talk to me. <laughs> but we, w- we would never go to bed angry. She was really big on that. I remember like the few times I did go to my room angry, 20 minutes, hour later, back by her bed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just like, I couldn't. I just, I can't. I mean, it's the same. I'm the same way now. Like, I I just can't. And I think, you know, it's not to say there aren't going to be times, I'm sure, in my life in the future. If I'm with a partner, my husband one day, like, I'm sure there'll be nights of anger or sadness or whatever. But I think just that practice has been really important to me. And I think that's also kind of what you're saying. You know, if you react, if your reaction can eventually be, I want to do this, but not actually doing it to your partner or the other person that, I mean, that's incredible. If you can, I think that takes a lot of time to figure out, but if you have the ability to say it before you do it and then pause and say, I don't really know why I need to take a moment to figure it out and table the conversation, I think that 
it, it's also a decision of what if, you know, your partner might not want to, your partner might want to talk about it and figure it out right then. So then I think that's where the compromise could come in. Or, you know, if you set a boundary and your partner isn't okay with it completely, is it a boundary that you're 100% not willing to have someone cross? Or is it a boundary that is is negotiable and you can meet in the middle somehow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well said. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, well, we have a, a bit of time left, so I just want to have a moment for rapid-fire questions. So the first is, how do you get excited for a date? Ooh. Oh, my gosh. There has to be music. I'll just I'll just tell a quick story. When I lived in New York for three years and I was going on like three dates a week, my roommate and I would make it a ritual to take a shot together before like either of us left. Like even if the one that wasn't leaving would have to take a shot. But now I just I love playing music and showing my friends what outfits I'm wearing. And yeah, that that's that's a good combination. The music and the outfits. I love it. And what is your ideal date? Oh my god. I love dates that involve different stops, like a tour, you know? And when it, when I plan dates, that's how I do it. So let's say it's like somewhere for a pre-drink, then dinner, then another place for dessert, then another place for a bar. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, me too. I love going to different spots and like different, it's like different atmospheres. You can kind of let loose in different situations or like see how people act and like you get to kind of change you know, how you feel when you walk into a space too and just... Mm, yes. New York spoiled us. I know? know. I know. It's so There's great. like five places on the same vlog. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's true. I know my friends and I are going to dinner tonight and we were like, oh, well, there's the, this Mediterranean place, but there's also Mediterranean place right next door. Which one should we go to? <laughs> it's so true. But I was thinking like, what other questions could I ask at the end uh, to kind of change it up for season two? So... One was, if there's been a time you've been ghosted or ghosted someone. Yes. I mean, okay. There's been times that I've been ghosted. And of course, in the very tonight fashion, weeks later, I circle back and I'm like, hey, are you open to receive how that made me feel? And I fully say like, you know, it, it made me really angry that, that you just disappeared. Like, And I, I'll just fully put it all out there. And they're very grateful, you know, because obviously they they were just super cowards and didn't want to didn't want to do it. So yeah, that that is what I do. If I'm ghosted, I'll I'll make sure that that I'm not holding any resentment towards the person. So I say what's what's there. And then have I I've not ghosted when I lived in New York and I didn't want to see a guy again. I would type up the text like "Thank you so much. I don't want to see you again." hand it to my roommate and she would click send because I could not. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I, I love it. I think, yeah, that's the same. I'm the same way. And my friends think I'm crazy sometimes because I literally will text someone exactly. I like what your, your, your line of, are you able to receive, are you willing to receive what, how that made me feel? I think that's such a powerful and like exactly, because they might not be in the right headspace. And I think that not only shows that in that one line, you are showing that you were hurt by them not speaking to you and also that you hold compassion for maybe whatever they might be going through that you were unaware of. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the big things that I that I help women like as a coach is not to just express your feelings, but to know when to and how to, how to create the environment 
for someone to hear you. It's really important. There's two people in the conversation. It's not just you. Totally. And I always say, if you feel that you were mentally, emotionally, or physically harmed, you know, you either can say something and stick up for yourself and you 100% have a right, or you can block them. You don't have to speak to those people again, because if they've harmed you, like, just walk away. Just walk away. Well, thank you so much, Tanai. This has been an incredible conversation. I can't wait for everyone to listen next week. So how and where can everyone find you? And do you have anything that you'd like to plug that you have going on? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is that I have a workshop on March 27th. It's free three-hour workshop called Unapologetic. And it's all about how to express those things that you find difficult to express in relationships and feel unapologetic to ask for what you want and share how you feel and say no. So you can ask me about it through Instagram, which is the best way to reach out to me in general. That's at Tanai Milgram. And just send me a DM and tell me that you heard of this podcast and you want a spot. For anyone that's listening to this podcast, I would also offer you a 90-minute call if you just want to hop on and and talk about what's going on in your life and anything that you found resonant in this podcast. I'd be glad to, you know, help out in any way that I can. And check out my podcast, Commitment Phobe. Amazing. Thank you so much again. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye. so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode or this podcast in general, I would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate, and review below. And if you can think of anyone who would enjoy this podcast, please consider sharing it. As a new podcast, the most helpful thing is to grow by word of mouth. After all, who doesn't enjoy a good date story? Lastly, if you would like to connect with me, please follow me on Instagram at ghosts underscore of dates past. And feel free to shoot me a DM if you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest. I'm always looking for new people to bring on to the show. Hope you all have lovely weeks, and I'll be back next week for another juicy episode. Bye for now.